I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. Well, welcome to The Discomfort Practice with Betsy Reed. Today, I am sitting with Lucy Lincoln. Lucy is a content creator, writer, and fellow podcaster. She is she runs a podcast called Almost Grown Up, the podcast for millennials who don't want to grow up but have unfortunately realized they might have to. It's a really good listen. I definitely recommend listening it. She recently interviewed me talking about discomfort. And she deals with discomfort and growing up and the discomfort of growing up in a way that is very much about building blanket forts and rediscovering childhood joys as an adult. And um, she's also one of my discomfort running buddies. She also lives here in Barcelona and is part of my co-working mornings that I run on Tuesdays called Accelerator Tuesdays, which is for female change makers. We get together, collaborate and challenge each other and support each other. She's also one of my yoga students, and we also work for some similar clients in the UK. So lots of things in common, but also I've discovered just the value of having someone like Lucy as what we're calling discomfort running buddies, somebody who's with you on the journey, somebody you can talk to. And honestly, I think I've cried in front of you, Lucy, more than I have in front of my own mother. So I think you'll enjoy Lucy's take on discomfort. So let's just get into this. Um, the focus of this episode is about discomfort running buddies and the value of discomfort sharing. Uh, and I think it was with you that I actually coined the term discomfort practice. So credit to you to helping me actually get to the point of deciding that this podcast is my own discomfort practice and that it was probably a useful thing for somebody in the world to hear. So here we go. Um, I know. Welcome. Sorry, I'm so excited. I had a moment. I'm like, calm down. Okay, calm down. Okay. <laughs> Moments are good. Yeah. Moments are welcome. I know you're usually on the other side of this asking the questions. So let's kick off because you know my first question is a fun one, which is what is an uncomfortable moment that's changed your life? Okay, I love that you go in so big with this as well. It made me really happy. I was like, of course, why, why would we tiptoe up to this? Just like, no, let's do it. Um, so I was thinking a lot about this actually, and um, I guess what I realized is there there have been a couple of moments that I see as like the that really changed my relationship with discomfort because um, it was almost not a choice as to whether I was uncomfortable mm. or not. It was an imperative, um, and interestingly, not to get too like you're my therapist, but I realized that they were all around identity changing. Um, mm. And I think one of the most fundamental ones I had happened quite young, actually. I moved to school um, when I was 16 years old to go to a different school. And I moved from being in a local school near where I grew up with people that I'd been to school with that lived down the road from me, all of this type of thing, to a school that um, I actually got a scholarship to go to because it was a specialist in areas that I was interested in. Um, and for the first time, I just did not fit in at mm. all, like not at all. Um, and it was um, 
a sense of breaking of identity because I didn't know how to be myself in this environment. And I realized, I think for a lot of the time when I'm in that relationship just to discomfort, that feeling that I have is I don't know how to be here. And this was like an extreme, I don't know how to be here on like for a two year type level um, that um, triggered at a time that I also um, started to suffer from depression. Um, and so those two things combined led to a period of quite intense discomfort for a long time. Mm. And I think what happened in that moment is it's like I say, it became not a choice. It became a way of life and learning then bit by bit how to moderate that discomfort, which at first for me was like, okay, step back from anything that is remotely uncomfortable because I have so much going on. I just need to be comfortable all the time. Hmm. To actually then in reverse leaning into it and being like, okay, let's go the other way because there is no choice in this. So let, if I'm doing this, let's, let's really do it. Um, so sort of the idea that life is uncomfortable, there is discomfort that if you avoid it completely, you're not really living kind of. Yeah. Well, and also I think what it's, the reason I think that one was so pivotal is because of what it made me realize was discomfort was not, it was there anyway. It was either there because I was um, doing an uncomfortable thing and leaning into something that was out of my comfort zone in whatever way, or it was there because I was so far into my comfort zone that it it sort of was the discomfort that lived subconsciously and that you're not living your life. You're not mm. doing things. You're not being someone. And I remember like quite young having this like, okay, I need to live my life. I need, I, even if I, and I put a few things in, for example, I went on a solo trip at like, I think I was 20 years old and I went traveling by myself because I was like, if you do nothing else in your life, you'll have had one story. And that was literally, you know, at that age, that was where my brain is. It was, yeah. it was like, okay, if you do nothing else, have done this thing. Um, and yeah, I think, I think having that experience quite young pushed me, like I was sort of for, I'm really grateful for it because I was mm. sort of forced into being very aware of mm. the kind of, I would say setup of life, you know, when you can, I think there are these moments and this is why I'm so fascinated with growing up is where the world breaks for you a little bit and you realize it's not as rose tinted as you thought it was. Yeah. And you also recognize that your power to change that sometimes you don't have it. Like sometimes it's not there. It just, the world is just the world. And whether you want it to be different or not, you can like throw yourself on the floor and have a tantrum as much as you want. But like yeah. the world's not your mom. They're not <laughs> give you like a little juice box and be like, calm down. It's like, well, no, this is how it is. So you kind of have to reroute, make your peace with that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think that changed my life because it, it changed my output, like my outset. Mm. Outlook. Outlook. Out something. Yeah, because I was going to ask. How has that shaped how, like, you're creative, you're a content creator, um, and I know you're such a creative person, so you kind of implied the link between that discomfort and actually what you're doing. I mean, for example, you talked about when you realize the world breaks for you as you grow up, and now this podcast, this piece of work that you're creating is about how do you kind of find your, find your footing as an adult 
after the world is broken for you without being broken? You know, how do you, so what is your angle on that? What is the angle of your podcast and of your project? Um, I guess, I guess it is that how do we reconcile this thing together? Because what I think is a lot of people are, I say this and I don't mean this in a bad way, but we're all pretending, right? We have these moments mm. and we put on this face. Um, and I say a lot of people, I include myself in that at points where you're just like, yeah, I totally know what I'm doing. I'm really, I've got this all together. I I am adulting. Can I swear on this podcast or no? I'm, I'm adulting the S. <laughs> Thank I, you, Lucy. Can I, <laughs> I think so. We'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll see what happens. Um, but I think there was that moment where I realized I needed a collective. Like I need, I, I needed, mm. and, and this is kind of where it comes to the discomfort running buddies. I needed those people around me um, to have a shared experience with and be like, hey, can we all stop pretending we know what that is going on? Because I really don't, sorry, it's really hard for me not to swear. I know, I same. I really don't have a clue. You know, I'm, <laughs> and I, I think that, need to when I was quite young I felt like I was quite alone in that how do I figure this out and I felt quite alone and at points I actually moved myself back from being with other people because it felt uncomfortable to Mm. feel quite um I guess like aware that what was going on was not what was going on it was just what people wanted to believe was going on and you kind of know you 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 can feel a bit like an outsider when you're like guys are we not see we don't want to talk about this like okay yeah. we're just going to pretend yeah. and i think over time what my creative work is i guess trying to do and i've always felt that i remember actually this is this is how this is an insight into my brain but uh, when i graduated from university and kind of at this point where i was thinking okay well what do i want to do i have to do some useful with my life and that was the point where I went traveling was like okay well if I do this I've done something Uh, and I had this thought of actually I wanted to do work that made people not feel alone because I think Mm. one of the greatest challenges and for me one of the hardest parts of experiencing depression was the complete isolation of experience and whilst I know that it is unfortunately a really common thing and many many people have had that I think when you're in it, when you're in that kind of dark tunnel that you don't know if it's ever ending, you feel so alone in that experience and no one can help you through it. They can yeah. be with you, but no one can do that work for you. And I think my and my darkest times, I felt just like there is no one out here who would ever understand this. Um, yeah. And my creative work has kind of been driven by that let's find some commonality let's find that moment where we can all not feel alone because yes we do life alone for the most part and and we have to face into that and i think it for me this is one of the best dichotomies of of the world is how we reconcile being almost entirely alone like we are alone in life but we are completely connected at the same time oh, i love that in a shared human that. experience and yeah wrapping your brain around that it's like, that's, that's adult life for me. That's growing up. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a gold nugget is the dichotomy of the fact that we were born alone, we die alone, but in the meantime, we don't have to be alone. And yeah, in discomfort, it's almost like, hmm, is it comforting to be in community? Is it a, a comfort thing to have discomfort running buddies? Probably. 
Is that a bad thing? Definitely not. It's when people are in isolation and feel totally isolated and are having rough moments that they just kind of check out or do things like commit suicide. So it's, yeah, it's that comfort in the discomfort of knowing you're not alone of, of the community. And obviously you come to my yoga classes. So we talk a lot about being in community and being in discomfort together. So I like that point that you brought out. And I love knowing like that you were driven by your discomfort to create work that make people not feel alone. That's just a beautiful output of discomfort. And I, I like, because you haven't articulated it like that to me before. And I love knowing that. I think that's going to be the line in the show notes, I think. But I don't think I've articulated it like that before. So yeah. Well, what's your discomfort practice? Because I know, I mean, obviously you do yoga, you do creative projects, which are uncomfortable. Often the process of creation is about going beyond what you know and creating something that you don't know what's going to happen next. And that's uncomfortable, but exciting. So, I mean, I know you're doing this 100 days of finishing thing, but I guess talk us through what, what some of your creative discomfort is right now. Oh, oh my God, I have so much creative discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a new term. Can we trademark that one too? We've got yeah, discomfort I practice. Mean, let's, let's just keep on going. Like we'll, we'll get so many terms out of this. Um, so yes, I think create the I think creating work is incredibly uncomfortable. And when it is something that you put a part of yourself in, you continually face that moment where you're like, okay, look at this thing. Maybe don't look at the thing, but it's like, don't be too mean if you look at the thing. Um, because I think you want to pour yourself into what you do. For me, again, I think that's why artists create. I think that's why creatives do work to go, I'm not alone, right? That you see this thing too, right? And mm. um I think it is that in that dialogue, that's the magic of creativity. I think that's why we all feel so alive when we're in experiencing creative work, whether it's a piece of music or a piece of writing or just a piece of content that somebody has put out in the world is that you have this dialogue between someone being like, I'm not alone, right, everyone? And then someone else being like, no, no, I see it too. Just don't let anyone else know. Uh, <laughs> And you, but you have, it's like a million secrets happening all at once, right? Between all these different people being like, we're sharing this, but we're going to pretend we're not sharing it. Like, I love that. The, the sort of sneakiness, the in club of the creatives. I get a kick out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it, to, me, to me, it's the joy. It's not even about, it's not like an even exclusive thing. It's just more like, uh, okay, you're willing to see this thing too. Okay, cool. Good. Like, you know, <laughs> um, which I, I think is something that I think every time I produce a piece of work, I want to throw up in my mouth the moment I share it. <laughs> I'm continually sick every time I try and share something. Ah, the discomfort of the sharing, which is the compulsion as well, that, that tension right of being like because I just wrote this book and it's out there in the world and I feel kind of sick knowing whenever a friend tells me they bought my book I I hope for feedback and then when they give me none I'm like oh my god they hated it it's like sending your kid to kindergarten and hoping people don't beat it up and it is yeah that sort of I'm immensely proud of it but I don't want to think about it but I do want feedback but I don't it's yeah, it makes me feel a bit queasy when I think about, oh my God, people I know are reading my book and they might dump on it. And I think I think that is the continual discomfort practice that you have to come up to when you're putting work out in the world and when you're creating. And I think we have a choice to do 
the thing that is perhaps safer and more expected of us. And when we do that, we probably feel less discomfort. And sometimes 100% that is what I do. I write the article that I know is going to help people and just be really straightforward. Like, okay, like I, a lot of the work I do is around helping people communicate better. And so, for example, during the pandemic, okay, I can write an article and not really worry too much about what people think about the way I've been like, here's how you can communicate better in your workplace during this time. Like, fine, top tips for managers to communicate better with their team. Like, I feel really happy about that. I can create work, you can go out into the world. In comparison, the short story I write that is an allegory for experiencing depression, for example, which, you know, is perhaps in a like slightly oddball way. For example, I mean, the one I'm particularly thinking of, I wrote about a man that experiences a weather system inside his house. So it starts to rain inside rather than outside. Mm. Um, and the whole story is just about that. And I, I know people won't get it. And when I share it sometimes, or when I submit it to things, I'm like, oh, they probably won't get it. And there's an element to which I think you can hide behind. Oh, I'm so creative. I've gone so off the wall. So it's that line between what is accessible and what is, um, I guess, brave enough to be real. And that mm. realness can look different in different ways. And I think anytime you produce creative work, it's somewhere on that scale of this is what people would expect of me it follows a line to um on exposing something of myself here can there also be an element of self self-sabotage when you're like oh, oh this is too weird i can't submit this or no one will see it because then it's safe it's not out there when actually it might yeah. be useful for somebody yeah the creative self-sabotage thing is oof how many good novels are sitting in people's drawers oh oh yeah and, and I think but I think we all have those moments and it, this is the drive. This is the, I think creativity really nicely uh, emulates the sort of cycle of life, which is a creative process in and of itself, whether you're mm. creating work in an artistic way or just living your life, it is an act of creativity in my mind because it is inherently problem solving. It requires you to have inspiration. It requires you to explore it. It requires you to be curious at points. Um, and there is this cycle through that where you're super excited about a thing and you're going to go and do that thing. And um, I don't know whether it's a new job or like, a house you're moving into or a friendship that you get like there are all of these things that are in this cycle of like okay I'm super excited I'm curious I'm going to think about it this different way maybe I could be a friend that's like this or maybe actually I want to live in an apartment that's like this and maybe it's a houseboat this time or a, like, do you know what I mean you can explore what those things are and then you bed into it and, and it sits there and after a while you're like well, I don't like this idea anymore like I'm not sure this is my way of being in the world mm. this thing fits right for me and then you know it comes through this cycle and I think whether it's a create, creative piece of work or the way we live our lives that thread of um, coming up to an edge of newness finding a discomfort in there that switches over from curiosity to I either have to choose to be the same person I have been up until this point, or I get to choose to be different. And mm. I think that happens in tiny, tiny moments all of the time. And for me, that's the piece where discomfort really comes in. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's very apparent in creative work. And I think that's where it's quite easy to practice. And it's very apparent in yoga, for example, in those moments where you're like, okay, I know this pose. I've done this pose before. I kind of know how I greet this pose most of the time, but let's see what happens today. And then you're like, 
oh, okay, cool, really uncomfortable, really uncomfortable. Oh, okay, cool. No, I've got this. I've got this. She's, I could sit here for another five minutes. <laughs> you're like, oh, no, hang on a second. Like, what have I just done? This oh, yeah. Whole new- and yeah. I think those those microcosms of what it aren't, and like discomfort does for us is then happening on this mm. scale in our lives every single day. So the practice for me it is living life is the practice you don't get to choose whether you're uncomfortable or not you just get to choose which type of discomfort you feel yeah yeah i i was watching an elizabeth gilbert igtv video a couple weeks back and she talked about basically that we practice discomfort we have these practices and she was speaking from home being locked in during this pandemic by herself and she went we practice and now the practice is over this is it we're doing it now. We practiced for this. So yeah, it is that idea that having a practice is about then using it and living it. So again, back to your 100 days of finishing. Tell us about that because I think it's a really yes. interesting approach. Yeah, sorry. I completely forgot. This is the problem with a slightly creative brain. It can be a bit scuffed. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I found one of my best ways to actually get things done and I I guess as you would term it, like sidle up to my edge um, on a regular basis um, is through doing some sort of challenge or thing where I have a boundary to it. And there is this, um, I think it started in a design school, this challenge of a a hundred day project, which is essentially where you do an act, the same thing every day for a hundred days. And I discovered it maybe six, five or six years ago um, at a point in my life where I didn't know what, um, I was really doing like, you know, when you, it, I would say it was a, I was a mini life crisis. Um, and I had this expand, like it was, everything was really hard, but also everything was really expansive. And I was so scared of what in my head was this like giant white sheet of paper, this canvas, blank canvas to fill with whatever, like there was nothing to stop me from doing whatever I wanted to do. Um, so I spent a hundred days reimagining life. I got a blank sheet of paper every day and I did something with that blank sheet of paper I drew a version of what my life could be or I wrote a version of what my life could be or things I could do and I stuck them all up on the wall and in the end of it I had this wall I mean I wallpapered a room basically in a hundred days of filling a blank sheet of paper um and so this this has always been a really powerful practice for me and um I realized recently there has been so much, so many things I've started in that excitement and curiosity and very few things that I've had. I guess I would say in some senses, one, the time, but also the courage to finish. Mm. Um, Mm. And the joy of a hundred days is it forces a habit in you. And I quite like a challenge. I'm, I know myself and know that there's the child in me that's like, watch me do these a hundred days. And I get, give myself like almost a gold star for every day I do. And it's like, okay, I've done this now. This is exciting. Um, So I kicked this off um, a couple of weeks ago. I think I'm like nearly 20 days in to 100 days. Um, And it finishes on you, no, on Christmas Eve, which just felt Mm. felt very nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Christmas, I'm going to have finished 100 things. Um, The challenge I think is, is, is continually being like, okay, I'm doing this thing and finding the time. And I think what you learn, what I'm learning through this hundred days of finishing things is 
there have been so many moments where I'm not helping myself out. Like you learn a habit of going, okay, I have to finish something today. So I've left it till 1130. <laughs> I've left it 1130 PM to do the thing that I need to finish. Like, where are you, you know, where are you prioritizing this? Like, and I, mm. it's very useful to start to see your habits and to look with a different lens. So I'm really enjoying it. I would thoroughly recommend a hundred day projects for people if they want, because I think it's a momentum change. It's yeah. a different lens to live through life um, a little bit. It teaches you again, it has a form of discomfort in it because sometimes you really don't want to. Or like, it would be like I say, 11.30 and I'm like, I just want to go to bed or watch some Netflix right now. Um, and it's quite nice because you know, it's only, it's not for the rest of your life. Um, and I think we can do that quite a lot. We can go, oh, but I can't do this thing for the rest of my life. I don't want to have to wake up at this time to write this thing every day for the rest of my life. Mm. You probably don't have to and you won't. So, but for a hundred days, maybe you can do it for a hundred days. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. maybe after a hundred days, you want to do another hundred and, you know. Yeah. Well, it is like that microcosm of something like that in yoga where you just think, and I say this in class, I know you like this, you can do anything five breaths at a time. You can do anything for a hundred days, you know, it's, and it does teach you if you can do something for one breath and then five breaths, you can do something for a hundred days. You can do something for longer if you need or want to. So yeah, I love that. The 100 days challenge. So what do you think the value of discomfort is in general in the world today? This world we live in right now where climate change is a fact, people have been locked in their houses with COVID, relationships have broken down, the system is cracking because it needed to, but what's the value of discomfort to a, a person listening to this? Oh. I know, I really put you I on mean, the spot there. <laughs> no, I think I... I well, I guess my initial thing is, like I've said already, I don't think discomfort is is a choice. So I think we have to choose to value the role that it plays in our life because it is there. And then the value in it is that it drives the trade-off for discomfort is so much growth. It is mm. so much connection. It is that ability to find a different way of being and recognize that we don't need to stop when something is uncomfortable. We can mm. carry on and we will come out of the other side. Um, actually, really randomly, I remember reading um, when I was not, I was quite deeply depressed um, in my early 20s. And one day um, in, a, in the post, I just received a package and it was actually my dad had just sent me a book out of nowhere randomly and it was a book on free running um and i know this sounds really random but he the guy who started the whole free running um movement basically um, and free running is without it. shoes right it's like basically where you're jumping over you're like jumping over buildings climbing stuff okay like, oh, okay um <laughs> his name's sebastian foucault i think and he is kind so of so parkour um scaling building parkour exactly yeah exactly um and he um said basically at one point um about fear being something um not a reason to stop a reason to pay attention like that's a sign from your body not to stop something but to pay attention and for me discomfort has kind of become synonymous with that idea of discomfort isn't a sign to stop something it is a sign to pay attention to what's going mm. on, to mm. what is changing. And 
not always like uh, there's an argument to which things shouldn't always change like maybe you don't always need as a person i mean i would say what is happening in the world right now we need some change we really need some change um and the discomfort is a necessary part of that and a practice to be able to cope with the fact that life is inherently and very deeply uncomfortable i think is incredibly valuable mm. right now because we all need the practice but then in our own lives i think there is learning where is the discomfort necessary for growth where yeah. can we lean into it and how can we then learn when are the moments to listen and go i see this change coming this is a priority for me right now and i'm going to handle that or actually could i make this easier and what would look because maybe i don't need to sit with this level of discomfort to this extent in mm -hmm. this area because mm -hmm. there is someone to help me with that and maybe the growth versus discomfort payoff is not that huge. I'm almost in my head now. I'm like, oh, discomfort ROI. Which <laughs> I wish I'd never said that. I want to take it back. Actually. That's a good way to put but it. You know, that, yeah. Yeah. That feeling of like, I think we, the feeling of discomfort is a choice point to learn something about ourselves mm. and to pay attention. And then from there, we get to choose what the right next step is and it might be going further into the discomfort or it might be edging away and getting some help and recognizing that we are part of a community but i think in that practice as individuals the more we go through that one the more equipped we are to deal with the life that is in front of us and actually pay attention to it and do something with it rather mm. than run away and we need people paying attention to it and I know yeah. at points I've been so uncomfortable. I've been like, I'm going to stick a, a pillow over my head and just be like, la, 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 I'm not listening yeah. to my life or the world or I can't deal with it. Um, and I think if I'm really honest, I feel like our time for that has passed. I don't the ability, know. yeah, the ability to ignore discomfort is ultimately privileged. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we need to stop choosing to do that. And we also then need to recognize we need those support people around us. We need... Mm. the running buddies we need the people to be standing alongside doing it with us going yeah this is freaking exhausting okay cool you too okay should we pause can we pause we can't pause okay we'll carry on <laughs> try and pause at the next you know because we have to go back to it now yeah 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 the we if we're not all facing into it together there is not only value in our own lives for what we could do be and create because it, when the world is this uncomfortable all of a sudden the rules change because you realize mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, some of those rules i'm not sure who made those rules and they might just exist in my head so maybe i can be the person that does this thing maybe i can be the person that says i have these needs and i want them to get met and be happy to let you know other people do that from them mm. or in tandem with them or can ask for the pay rise that they want or all of these things that perhaps have felt constricting before that there is that personal growth but then I think there is the collective growth as well that discomfort brings purely because we recognize that there are people doing it alongside us yeah that makes it if not doesn't make it okay but it makes it more comforting in a sense like the comfort within the discomfort is knowing you're not doing it alone. Mm. Maybe at the end, something good will have happened. Which you well, can't guarantee. Well, no, but it's also like in our uh, Accelerator Tuesdays, we've started asking each other as a standard, do you have to do this thing? Because we all operate, we're all entrepreneurs and we're you know single entrepreneurs, most of us. And 
we forget that we don't have to do everything alone. And I think part of the value of this particular conversation is maybe to those listening who might be struggling with depression or a creative or an entrepreneur is that you don't have to do anything alone and that you can be in discomfort, but you don't have to do it by yourself. And that there are plenty of people who just the comfort of being in community um, and speaking to John L. Lewis in another podcast, she talked about that, about yoga. The whole point is we do it in community. That is the idea. And like you've said, we're all here alone, but we don't have to live we don't have to be solitary. I guess that's the difference. Alone or solitary. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask you one final question because I know the answer is probably going to be a good one. What do you think people need to get uncomfortable about right now? Oh, I think that people need to get uncomfortable about the things that are stopping them from seeing different ways of being of both collectively and themselves. And I think we need to continually allow ourselves to feel that moment of discomfort that sometimes can happen when I don't know about anyone else, but sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh God, no, I feel uncomfortable already about this thing or whatever it is that is happening. But um, to then step into that and go, do you know what I can all of these things that are set up in my life in a certain way, I'm going to choose to see if there's a different way of seeing them if they don't serve me as they currently are and do that for the collective whole as well. Because Mm -hmm. it is uncomfortable to change your habits around certain things, but maybe that might make the world a little bit better. And it is uncomfortable to have conversations with people about things that are important to you that they don't necessarily see and and lean into that fact that you might feel alone in that moment. But I think if we don't start all having those conversations, we're not going to realize we're all feeling similar things. Mm. So I, I, I think we need to lean into that. There is a different way of doing this. We can get uncomfortable about the fact that we don't know that and we might have F- I can't not effed up. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, sorry. Thank you. I'm I, yeah. sorry. I'm trying. We might, we might have, um, yeah, effed up on the way to where we are now. And I think that getting mm-hmm. comfortable with what we've done to the point, to this point and being okay with the discomfort that comes from the fact that maybe that's not been good enough or what, not what we would choose now. Yeah. So almost getting comfortable with uncomfortable conversations, but first recognizing what makes us uncomfortable. What are those conversations? I'm interviewing uh, Nick Bridwell, who runs the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast after you, actually. Um, he's, he's my next interview. And that's exactly why he runs that podcast. And it is about collectively leaning into discomfort and having conversations we've avoided for a long time because we could, and now we can't anymore. So It's also beautiful. One of the things I love about this podcast and the people I've been speaking to is the complete affirmation that, well, my suspicion that we aren't in this alone. We are in a moment of real paradigm shift and willingness to have exactly those conversations and boundaries, you know, sort of, we come from very polite cultures. You're British, I'm adopted British, and I come from a very sort of Britishified family where we don't have difficult conversations. We just avoid them and wait till people leave the room and then talk about them. 
So it's about having uncomfortable conversations about the things you actually want, the things you actually feel are the right things to do and say and be in the world. Uh, and sometimes letting people disagree with you. And and I did part of that is obviously a lot of the people on this podcast are people who we agree on things. And I think I look forward to doing more interviews with people who I don't necessarily agree with because that is productive discomfort if we can do it in a mutually respectful way, which is difficult in places like the US right now where things are so polarized and with, you know, social media and AI just kind of doing this algorithm thing that further polarizes us. It's a challenge and that's that's uncomfortable for me, but it's something that I want to contribute to the world through these conversations. So watch this space for some interesting conversations with people, maybe with some ideas that are very different from mine. But I just wanted to tell you, thank you so much for being one of my discomfort running buddies, for being part of my community who helped me to get uncomfortable and to evolve and develop my superpowers because my, my comfort zone is expanding every time we interact, every time we collaborate, every time we do something. So thank you so much for sharing and for all the things that you've had to say. I know there are going to be some people who are just really charmed by your winsome, friendly way of putting things. And I know, listen to Lucy's podcast. It is always interesting, as well as just there's a softness to it. It's an easy one to listen to, even though the subject matter can be quite meaty. So thank you for what you're putting out there in the world. I love you. And... I really appreciate your being a guest. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts and head over to the Discomfort Practice Patreon page. For the cost of a cup of coffee once a month, you can become a contributor and help us to produce this podcast and reach new people with the idea that discomfort is just the edge of change, the edge of our superpowers, and the edge of changing the world for the better. Thanks to my wonderful team who helped me produce this podcast, to Thomas Sheffer for the original music, Katrina Affleck for the original artwork, and to my co-producer Spencer Rausch. Let's all stay uncomfortable. Thank you.